Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project A Ventures, the operational VC. My name is Rainer Birak, operating partner at Project A, and our guest today is Emilia Teil. Welcome. Hi, Rainer. In this podcast, we talk to great founders and we ask them a standardized set of questions in the domains that we think matter tremendously for building a successful company. And these are tech, growth, people, data, and ESG. Emilia, who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it? I'm a founder of Claire and Me. I'm one of two founders, and I'm building Claire. Um, within that, I'm doing psychology, science, conversation design, and everything around investor relations and fundraising. And I'm giving Claire a voice. So Claire has actually also my voice. So Claire is not your co-founder, but Claire <laughs> is basically the, 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 the AI or the person you're talking to in your solution. Is that correct? Yes, Claire and me is the company and Claire is the product we're building. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? How does it work? Who do you address? Who's your target group? Um, because that will be relevant for some of the questions we will ask later. Yeah, um, maybe from the beginning, Selena and I started Claire and me a year ago with a vision to use technology um, to simulate therapy and coaching and offer scalable mental health solutions. Um, so something that uh, people can use anytime and anywhere. And for that, we're building an automated mental health coach, Claire, that everyone can talk to whenever they feel um, bad. So basically feelings of anxiety like distress or feeling lonely, um, having a racing heart, etc. And then Claire is a voice bot that calls you over the phone and that you can talk to. So your target group is basically like it sounds wrong in this context, but it is consumers. It's like the the, the person, the user. Um, are they paying for that? Yes. So the target group is 18 to 35 year olds to get into a bit more detail with symptoms of anxiety and my depression. And yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, we're pre-revenue, but the idea is that customers are paying And then later on, you can also use different channels. Okay, I'm asking because some of the like uh, monetization fun uh, like logics work differently if you would make like, for example, the health insurance uh, pay for that or so. But, but here the idea is that the consumer basically pays. Yeah, the idea is with a dystopic product like this, we need to be close to the consumer first to understand how do people talk to bots. Thank you for that. And now let's get started. People. If you would start a company today, what would be your first five hires? In our case, um, that would be two developers, um, backend and AI, um, then product and a conversation designer and a psychologist. And would you hire rather senior or junior people in the beginning? <laughs> Um, difficult question. Uh, I think people with a big potential, um, definitely, um, but a bit more senior, I think. So a good mix between junior with high potentials and then uh, maybe one or two seniors, especially with the tech. And were these your first five hires? Uh, I would say 90%. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a bit of a bigger focus on app um, when we started and we completely mm -hmm. scrapped the app. So we just use WhatsApp and f uh, calls for now. So we had a designer on the team as well, um, which isn't part of it anymore. Um, but yeah. What are the hardest hires of today? I think generally speaking, lead positions. Um, so especially when you're an early startup, because you need to have the right um, balance between someone that can be very operational, but at the same time, um, good as a leader or like already understands like leadership. 
And then for our specific case, I think conversation designers, um, especially someone with a coaching background, because at the end of the day, we're building a voice bot and um, conversations are what makes the product good. And this is where like it really makes the difference to give Claire a voice content wise as well. Mm -hmm. How do you measure employee satisfaction? We have one-on-one -on -one conversations, uh, so qualitative measurements. Uh, we have weekly reflections where we ask uh, what went well, what didn't go so well, and what do you want to improve on? And then we have weekly satisfaction polls via Slack. Mm -hmm. how, if I may ask, uh, how, how large is the team? The um, it's uh, 12 of us now. And if the team grows, uh, would you consider using a tool for employee satisfaction? Yes, yeah. I think um, I think there's always like a limit um, to some tools that we're using right now, but for now it's completely fine. And obviously, like that, that's something that grows um, when the co when the organization grows as well. So, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. How about employee uh, performance? Do you measure that? How how do you steer that? Yeah, so company wide, we have annual, quarterly, and monthly OKRs. Um, so that's literally like broken down from the company vision and then based on that like waterfall principle every individual has their own okrs so that's not exactly the same ones as the company ones but they basically um like the performance um goes into the company okrs do you have a favorite type of org chart um probably for 12 people not yet that highly relevant but once the organization grows how, how do you think you would structure it um, definitely, I mean, lean and flexible are like common words that everyone uses. Um, for In our case, um, we are two founders. We are now building like, let's say, the first flexible management, like C-level structure. Um, but currently, we're still also um, organized in task forces and around different topics. So we basically have like product, conversation design, tech, etc. But then we have different task forces that join for, let's say, WhatsApp or for calls. And I think that's a good way to go forward. So even if you have org charts hierarchical um, that you build task forces, break it down and don't just work on your in, on your level. Mm -hmm. What's your approach to culture? Um, so we think, I mean, for us, um, it's, it's interesting because everyone works and has the same beliefs. So everyone um, in our company believes that mental health, for example, is something that we need to solve. So people are united by the same underlying belief. I think this is what culture says. Um, so that you have the willingness to create something that like unifies the you that's bigger than yourself, that's sustainable and has a positive impact. And um, yeah, I think that's interesting in our case because uh, that also means that our team is uh, the biggest critic of the product. Everyone has something to say, <laughs> which is great at the same time, but that's, that's culture for us. Mm -hmm. And then maybe, um, sorry to say a bit more, it's also like shaped by the team and it changes. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. So it basically culture comes out of the team, you would say. Yes, in our case, definitely. And it's, a, it's something that's also evolving. Um, but yeah, it's not something that we just press onto the team, but it's something obviously like our beliefs. That's how we started. So it was the two of us. And uh, now it's 10 of us or 12 of us with like the same beliefs. And that's where culture starts. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you a remote first or office first company? 
We are office first. Um, so I think that's something we needed to learn as a young startup that just because you're remote first, that doesn't mean that you save money, <laughs> for example. <laughs> I think that's like the biggest myth because then you obviously have like offsites, etc. But for us, um, Selena, my co-founder and I, we were always in the office and it just made sense. We built a strong relationship. The first hires were in the office. Um, so it really quickly got established as an office first company. But I have to say that doesn't mean that flexibility um, isn't key, but we offer flexibility. So like working remote or leaving the Berlin winter is something that's completely fine. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Tech. Um, I bet you would call Claire and me a tech company, correct? Yes, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I think, I mean, our vision is to create tech to solve a problem. Um, so, yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, most tech companies, all tech companies have some degree of uh, product team and development team. And uh, to the degree that's the case for you, um, and also looking forward, who of the two do you think should be or is in the lead? Rather the developers or rather the product managers? Yeah, I think this is an interesting question because um, my co-founder and I, we discussed it uh, heavily yesterday because we were like, no, both. <laughs> um, but I think in the end, um, product. And the reason I'm saying this is because uh, we are following the user and the product is the team that's closest to the user. So doing user interviews every week and um, seeing as this is like very user-centric, I would say mm -hmm. product. So in practice, who decides what you develop next? Selina, <laughs> <My co-founder. laughs> no, but uh, I mean product, um, and I think it's like weighing out um, what the user says, but also having obviously milestones and our vision and product roadmaps, etc. But mm -hmm. yeah, currently Selina. Yeah, given given your stage, that 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 makes a lot of it makes a lot of mm -hmm. sense, and that it's also like part still of the of the founder team. Yeah. Um, how does the decision process actually work? Who's involved, and 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 how do they take the decision? Yeah, so currently, um, I mean, as the team is quite small, yes, it's a combination of different things. So I would say um, we have roadmaps, we have biweekly sprints. Um, we kind of know that planning is everything, but a plan is also nothing, right? And um, we follow the Kano mo model, I would say. Um, I mean, at the early stage, um, we have a lot of basic functionalities that we have to build um, for the product, but we also know that you have to build something that's like user delight in this model so that the user gets excited and we're experimenting with that. So that's like the kind of balance that we're trying to get um, whilst planning for it. Um, and then obviously when we notice that the, the users run into something that they really like something, we discuss it in the team. We have a weekly user insights meeting where everyone of the team can get involved and suggest new features um, and stay close to the user. And I think that's how we do it. Mm -hmm. What's your take on product-led growth? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's great. Um, Selena has a background, um, so maybe t tell you a bit more about the backgrounds. Um, Selena mm -hmm. worked at Google, and I think at Google it was always like, follow the user, else will follow. So that's like the definition of product-led growth, I think. And I was at Jungformat, and um, my job was also always to understand the user's perspective first and really build around the user. Um, so I think that both of us have kind of got the product-led growth ingrained um, in our characters. Mm -hmm. Which role does design play in your company? An unusual one, definitely. Um, 
I mean, design is super important for us um, when designing conversations, but more on the content part of it, not actually on, mm -hmm. on the visual part of it. And we are not using visual design um, a lot at the moment, other than like branding our website, but not in the product. But it's interesting because it makes you think of design or like language design um, mm -hmm. very differently because... I mean, for example, um, the team is very conscious now about using words like crazy in um, in like everyday life, because for us, it means something else um, when designing conversations or not just answering good to a question of how are you. So design very differently, but uh, language design is uh, very important in our company. Yeah, I mean, I bet most designers that I know uh, would, would, would actually disagree that it's different in your case, but that it more often should be that way. Because mm -hmm. design is often reduced to uh, logos and, and and colors on a website or so, when uh, when the whole way of a user interacting with whatever you offer uh, should be part of that. And I think, yeah, in, in your case, that is probably it manifests in in a better way, but or in a more clear way. But uh, but that is probably the way design should be thought of in in, in more in general. Yeah, true. Um, do you or would you ever outsource software development? Um, we currently don't, uh, but we have. Um, so I would say for core functionalities, no. But for like time-bound specific product product development features, yes. Growth. If you think about the complete funnel, like from brand to marketing, sales, customer success, um, I assume you do not have all these functions because you are not addressing a B2B uh, audience, correct? You would probably rather focus on, I guess, brand marketing, the, the, these parts. Yeah, correct. But even there, we don't have a single person for every one of these things. I think if we did, uh, I'd be very concerned at this <laughs> stage. Um, but it's more like, uh, I mean, you know it, but hiring a Swiss knife, like people that can do a lot of things. So our conversation designer is also a coach at the same time. Our full-time developer is also a psychologist by background. Um, so we uh -huh. have super interesting people that can do a lot of things. Now, I assume if you would grow, you will for sure at least have marketing people. You you would have probably some, I mean, with, with your background, you, you would probably look after brand quite a bit uh, yourself. But would you see in the funnel somebody being, one function somehow being in the lead or Or, or how would you structure them, all the growth parts of the team? Um, yes, uh, definitely. I mean, currently, uh, you're right. Currently, Celine and I are doing it. So Selena does everything around um, um, marketing, uh, performance marketing. Um, so mm -hmm. she did that at Google. Also, sales um, would be her area. For me, it's uh, right. It's a brand. So marketing in the sense of like brand target groups, etc. And I think this is also what makes us strong, like a strong team, because these are our backgrounds. Um, but you're right. Uh, later on, as co-founders, we will also have someone actually looking over brand. Um, and then later on, sales will also be uh, will also be super interesting. Um, but for us. For now, I think um, brand and, and performance marketing. So like someone like a growth um, lead would be interesting. Yeah. So I think you said you're pre-revenue, but I bet you also try to hit certain targets like having, I don't know, so and so many new users, avoid churn, etc. And um, what what can happen in this process is you have, I mean, like you have at least two two ways of addressing that, which is through your brand and through performance marketing. 
And if things go well, usually everybody's happy. In case, I don't know, targets are not met, it can start with that the two sides, and I know this is theoretic, uh, but the, the way your company will grow, you will probably more run into having ambitious targets and then trying to reach them. And then the question is, in case for one month the target isn't met, that the different sides can, might blame each other and say the brand isn't strong enough or the marketing activities weren't strong enough. How, how can you avoid that? How can you in general, what's your take on that? How can you in general avoid when you have such more, more when you have a funnel or more complex interactions between teams, how can you avoid that they blame each other um, for success when they have to work cross-functional? I think in general, um, you have to make sure or um, you should make sure that everyone is working towards the same goal um, and understands the goals. And if that's the case, then um, so like breaking down OKRs around marketing, sales or performance marketing, brand, etc. from one goal um, shows that everyone's working towards it and everyone's working towards it. And I think that's what our team is already understanding. So when we run into something that's not go going well, I think too many people feel responsible currently. Uh -huh. um, so that's obviously <laughs> something else. But uh, so I think the blaming isn't um, isn't a problem at the moment for us. Uh, but it's interesting. Um, yeah, but I would say what for our culture. Principle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, now talking to a, a former Jungformat person, how important is brand for you? Very. Uh, I mean, in the end, people love stories, right? And uh, we want to create emotions. Um, so definitely very important. It's interesting because we see a lot of, I mean, we are ourselves as a VC looking at a lot of super early uh, companies. And I think in the past when, when performance marketing was basically solving everything and startups were about, I don't know, selling shoes. Brand was probably a little bit deprioritized, and at the moment, it's 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 quite on the rise. Um, how do you approach brand? So for us, um, I mean, I said it at the start a bit. Um, we have, I think, it's twofold. So we have brand as the company. So we have Claire and me, and um, that's like everything that um, so employee satisfaction, etc., from the inside, but also from the outside. The logo design. We have a design agency. Um, We have mentors from Google, Informat that worked with us. Um, and on the other hand, we have Claire, right? So Claire is a personality. Claire has a name uh, for a reason. Uh, Claire has a tone of voice, a persona guideline, things Claire can say and cannot say. And um, that's how we are approaching it currently. Uh -huh. uh, side question. Uh, will there ever be like multiple voices or so, so that you can pick if you want to talk to Claire or Phil or I don't know, to a different uh I don't know, voice or personality there on yeah. the other side? Yeah, it's definitely the idea. Um, I mean, currently Claire has a female voice because uh, Claire mm -hmm. has my voice. But um, who knows? I mean, maybe even Claire has a male voice or a non-binary voice um, uh -huh. in the future. So that's definitely something we're looking at. Okay. Marketing. Which marketing channels do you use and why these specific ones? Um, we use paid ads and organic ads. Um, we use that because uh, we have quite a small target group um, and we want the target group on the product. So we started really early on actually to pay for users and not just put uh, family and friends on, on the product mm -hmm. to test it. Um, because we have users that also don't want to talk to people because of stigma. So I think that's super, super interesting. Um, and then we are, yeah. So I think paid ads, organic, PR, yeah. but Basically, that's that's the main channels. What's your view on performance marketing in general? It's probably rather a question even for for your co-founder. But 
I mean, we hear for, from, from some companies and some CMOs that they say the whole full focus on performance marketing is dead or, or dying soon. What's your take on that? Yeah, so I asked Selena about this as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I think um, the, our take is it's not dead, but it's different. Um, so whereas, like you said it before, uh, whereas before like um, companies without a strong brand, but with just performance marketing would be successful uh, like 10 years ago. Um, this isn't something that's working quite well these days. So you cannot just uh, become a huge brand if you don't have a good product or mm -hmm. don't have a good brand just purely by performance marketing so it's different and you have to know that it's different but then you can work with it really well as well you don't have any salespeople at the moment correct yeah that's correct uh can you imagine having that at some point because i don't know you might uh, not really pivot but extend in a way that you sell i don't know for example through health insurances and then you need probably some salespeople selling to such institutions, organizations, et cetera? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, for us, employee benefits could be more um, important mm -hmm. in the close future, but it's definitely something we're discussing. So again, theoretic, but, but probably good opportunity to pick your creativity. In that case, you would need good digital savvy salespeople and uh, a lot of companies that we interview here ha have a have a significant problem with finding <laughs> these where how would you approach that where do you think a startup could find good digital savvy salespeople I think young ambitious people um, that can that are good storytellers and that can <laughs> therefore also sell well. Um, I think it's not as uh, not as hard as um, finding conversation designers or techies, um, mm -hmm. but that's my um, yeah uh, take on it. But you would you would not basically go for salespeople and try to teach them your product. I mean, teach them a product, yes, of course, but try teach them to be like 2022 but you would probably rather take young ambitious people who, who just like have a, a certain talent for for also selling something for the start yes i think um later on you probably need some senior um some senior lead uh, that also has experience in that field but yes mm -hmm. data how does data make claire and me successful It's everything um, for us. It's, I mean, it makes Claire more personal. So personalization, it uh, gives us better algorithms or like predictions, better helpfulness. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all of it. It's really at the core of your product. It's not just like for optimizing marketing or so, but for you, data is really like the source of actually ha having the product in the first place, right? Yes. Okay. Um, beyond the product itself, which other functional areas... Uh, would you see supported by data, maybe at the moment, maybe in the future when you grow further? Like marketing is a classic. Of course, you can't do really performance marketing without data support. Any other areas, people, um, yeah, other 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 areas of, of the company? No, I think for us, it's uh, definitely mainly yeah you're right marketing but mainly product um i mean everything around like ai getting algorithms better but or like using biometrics etc but everything around the product mm -hmm. a bit of a theoretic uh, question but um if you have a data team would you rather make them answer specific questions or would you give them the opportunity of explore exploring available data and find opportunities we have um so we 
do both. Um, we have once a week we have a user insight meeting where we discuss key matrices. So we already mm -hmm. have data, we already look at data. Um, that's always a balance between qualitative and quantitative data. Um, but we also continue to ask new questions. So we have um we work based on hypothesis and every hypothesis also has a data question tied to its decision. So I think continuously um we basically always have the same, but we ask new ones. So more and more mm -hmm. come come to it. How can you then make sure that the people really do what the data recommend? Yeah, uh, it's a it's a definitely a difficult balance as an early startup because um you don't have huge data sets, uh, so it's it's super um tough because you shouldn't only look at the outlier. You should also like again have a good feeling for the customer, be super close to the customer or user, and um, I think this is why we do so. Every decision is. I would say 50-50 based on qualitative and quantitative data. And that's how we okay. how we do it. Yeah. Um, in the data area still, which tools and infrastructure do you use? Um, Metabase for mm -hmm. the data, yeah. Do you have dedicated data people in, in, in your team at the moment? Um, no, I mean... Yes and no. So I think what you're trying to apply, we don't have a huge data, like a whole data section, but we have a lot of people that use data. So our product uses data, our devs work with data. So building new algorithm, training um, a voice model, etc. So everyone has data in their functions. I would say if we have that, then we have probably five, five people working on quantitative data and two working on qualitative data, but we don't have it as a core um, segmented team. Okay. Now thinking about some years in the future, your team has grown quite a bit and you have, I don't know, maybe a dedicated BI team, maybe some data engineers could happen. If, if you would have such a team, where would you locate it in your organization? Who um, would they report to? Product and tech. So I think we would have like BI um, report to product and we have mm -hmm. um, like data analysis or like analysts also more um, together with the tech team um, based on AI um, algorithms, etc. So I think that would be a huge, huge link. Um, yeah, conversation design is also kind of a part of product for us, but I think there's, there's less data in that area um, mm -hmm. than product and tech for us. Yeah. GDPR, is it a struggle or an opportunity? Um, it's definitely super important. Um, <laughs> and so I think it's super important for health or wellness uh, companies to be transparent uh, about how to use data, who has access to it, etc. Um, so we also do that. We give our users the opportunity to delete the data at any given point. Um, we have a commitment not to sell their data for commercial purposes with which I think is also a huge point. So it's important um, that it's in place and that, that you have to make sure that the safety of the user is uh, at the center. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Environmental, social and governance. Why did you or didn't you, you probably would say you did, uh, start an ESG company? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, di I didn't uh, go out and say, hey, I will build an ESG company. But I think, okay. um, yeah, it's definitely something that we did um, in the end, because the world is limited. Um, and I think in a in a world where like currently looks like we have a doomsday at some point, uh, I want to be do like I want to my time or like, to use my time um, 
for something that matters and um, want to create innovation that uses a like or like yeah solves a real problem. That's mm -hmm. what I want to say. Yeah. Starting with E in ESG, what does Clarent Me do internally in order to help our environment? We did um, so. We did workshops uh, to, for example, define which uh, goals we actually like work towards and um, how. Uh, an obvious health goal maybe relates to a d another one. So like sustainability, etc. So I think that's interesting. Um, we do voluntary days that we have um, at the company. So we already like went and worked uh, for organizations. And in general, I mean, we have the vision to help the 1 billion people suffering from mental health. And I think that's mm -hmm. what we also do for the um, societal environment. Yeah, that, exactly. That brings us to to the S in ESG, the the, the social part. Um, that that is a great uh, contribution that you deliver to, to and, and actually the way not not only in the way you run your business but but also what your what your company achieves, right? Yeah, I think I mean it's the most important one um, because in the end we're creating a solution to solve the mental health crisis and yeah. Mm -hmm. How about governance? Governance is a somehow for especially for for startups uh, not not so easy to 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 grasp. Uh, uh, term here. Uh, are there any governance criteria you would say you follow? If if somebody would say uh, how how you because actually VCs tend to ask that more and more often, and actually LPs tend to ask that more and more often to VCs. Um, how you are you dealing with with ESG and governance? There's often a question mark. Any answer from you on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I could ask uh, ask you back, like, what do you understand yeah. um, <laughs> under <laughs> governance? And maybe you can tell me after. I think my take is, um, so from an organizational perspective, right, and what are we doing in um, governance? Uh, we are two female founders. We are 80% of women working in the company. We have super democratic decision-making. Everyone's involved in the process. I would say these are the steps that I would now name, but maybe you can... Um, let me know if that's what you meant. No, I'm to be honest, <laughs> it, it, it is really not easy, and it's probably the point I, I want to keep asking that uh, as part of this set of questions. Um, but it's not the it's it's not the easiest to be answered, and and mm -hmm. also when 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 we look at a lot of startups and as, as a VC, it, it's not the easiest area to answer. Um, in general, a lot of companies nowadays want to have a focus on ESG and and. Uh, do a lot of positive things about it um, and they are very communicative about it. Do you think that helps them get funding or do you think investors rather see that critical and as a deflection? When you talk to investors, is ESG a, is ESG a topic? Um, not often. So we don't say, hey, we are building an ESG company. Um, mm -hmm. I think there are a lot, I mean, it's obvious that we're doing something impactful and I think impact is something that's very positive. Um, ESG and being very technical about it, I think there's a lot of people also challenging it that think, um, I mean, I don't know, are you a charity? Um, does it really work? And uh, I think we have to prove that creating financial value and like high revenues um, can also, or actually even better go hand in hand with social impact. So it doesn't actually con contradict itself, but if you create something um, that's also meaningful that you can earn, also even more uh, money. <laughs> so I think it's working towards the same goal and I think we have to prove that a bit more. So I'm not doing the classical, I'm a female founder and I'm doing an ESG company. So that's not what uh -huh. I'm saying. <laughs> Can you imagine that Claire and me will at some point have an ESG officer or a similar role? 
No, um, because everything in the company already works towards it. So I think we don't need someone specifically for it. Okay. That brings me to the last three questions. Which is the one podcast all founders should listen to? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to name a female podcast, but um, I think I will. Um, so it's actually tough. I mean, there are amazing ones out there. Um, and I think um, we need to listen to more female voices. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I mean, Leah and Verena, for example, are doing a great podcast. Um, but I also like other podcasts, like Stuff You Should Know About or... Um, Yeah, the day of a CEO. So I think that's also um, really good podcasts. And maybe the name of the the one of Lea and uh, Verena. It's uh, Fast and Curious, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. What are your top two pieces of advice for early stage founders? So I think um, for a VC company, if you build a VC company, I think um, a lot of people have the idea that there's like a written uh, rule book, a rule book, what are like the steps you have to follow in order to become a unicorn or to become an amazing company. And I think uh, at the end, it's uh, it's still outliers and there's no success formula. So if you do it like everyone else, uh, um, you probably won't um, be that successful. So, so I think like be brave enough to do it differently. I think that's my first um piece of advice and uh, the other one is definitely find something that's deeply rooted in you whether that's a problem a team um, something that makes you happy um, because I mean you're in it for maybe 10 years um, so it's great to challenge yourself but it's also great to wake up and feel privileged to work on this topic um, mm -hmm. and I know only two but uh, also have fun along the way uh -huh. thank you so much Last question. Who are the two other founders I should ask this set of questions and you can make an introduction for me? This was super tough because I have amazing people around me. Um, but I would say um, Anna from Never Not. Um, uh -huh. That's a, a female health company. And uh, Anne-Sophie from Female Company, from the female company. Um, both of them I would say here right now. Okay. Then I'm very much looking forward to receiving these introductions from you. Thank you so much, Emilia. I wish you all the best for you and Claire and me. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening in. We appreciate your interest. If you want to know more about Project A and the stuff we do, on both the investment side as well as on the operations side, please just go to projecta.com. And of course, visit us at the Project A Knowledge Conference in October. The ticket application process is still open. And for the podcast, if you want to hear more of us, subscribe to this podcast, rate it, review it, and of course, share it with everybody you know. Thank you. Thank you, Emilia. And <laughs> Thank goodbye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Thanks, guys.